0: It's really lovely to have been invited to lead worship at Linfield today. For those of you who don't know, I, before I trained for the ministry, I spent four happy years working here at the church as the youth pastor. Now, I grew up attending our local United Reformed Church on Hailing Island, and my, the church my grandfather—it was the church that my grandfather had ministered in—and at the age of eleven. And inspired by his words, maybe, and I don't know what it was, I announced to the family over Sunday lunch that I was going to go and be a church minister one day. Now, this idea soon passed, and I went back to dreaming of being a great rock star or something similar. At the age of about 18, I I didn't know what I was going to be doing with my life. I didn't know where I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to be doing. And I found myself at a friend's 21st birthday party fueled by a significant amount of alcohol, it must be said. I got chatting to someone there who was a Christian youth worker, and they reckoned that I might do all right at that. Somehow, God must have been in it. As a month or so later, I'd found a placement church, enrolled on a degree program, and had moved into the house of the people I'd never met before. It's strange now, but at the time, they were complete strangers, and now that minister and her family, her colleagues and friends, and have become family. My wife Hannah was at that point looking forward, looking to start university down in Brighton. And I was looking for employment when I stumbled upon little old Linfield. Quite quickly, it became apparent to me and I hope to the church that this was where God was calling me to be. And I loved the opportunity of coming alongside the wonderful array of young people, I can see Peter here this morning, it's crazy, who were a part of the church at that time. The idea of youth work now, quite frankly, is terrifying. And it just shows that God has a sense of humor, doesn't it? It was whilst I was here that I I got married. It was whilst I was here that I felt challenged to think broadly, more broadly, about who it was that God was calling me to be, and who it was who God was calling me to serve. And it was whilst here that I candidated and was eventually accepted to train for ministry of Word and Sacrament. It's no wonder that this place has such a dear place in my heart. I was thinking about some of the personal highlights of those four years. From spending roughly 238 hours over the space of two weeks in December 2011 and December 2013 running a radio station upstairs, to taking a group of kids on several camps, residentials, and even on a trip to Romania in the summer of 2013. It's fair to say that life was never dull. Over the space of four years, I managed to live in five different flats and houses in the area. In the first, we saw I suffered from a noisy neighbor. The second became too pricey. The third, the landlord suddenly needed back. And the fourth, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> and by God's grace, the fifth, we moved into Ryecroft, which was at the time empty due to a ministerial vacancy. But something that none of you know is that in the fourth house, I had a pretty annoying German lodger to contend with. Did anyone know that? Jenny Martin, the previous minister's wife, had gifted us, and I would guess, many others in the congregation with a little friend who went by the name of Hermann the German. Now, Hermann was a friendship cake, friendship cake, where the mixture used... To make it alive was made with yeast, and it made it grow and do all sorts of strange and weird and wonderful things. But as a result, when it was fed with flour and looked after properly, the mixture grows to four or five times the amount needed to make one cake. People are encouraged to take one portion to bake one cake, one portion to grow the next, and then they're supposed to give the rest of the portions away as a starter to four friends or family members who can then go on and make their own cake. Does anyone remember this German cake going around the church? Yeah. (laughs) It's easy to give Hermann away to others as the mixture quickly multiplies, so there will always be more to use and more to share. The problem with this is, though, that eventually every single person has a Hermann. And they're left struggling to find new people to pass Herman on to, to share him with. Now, this is in contrast to what can happen if we're asked to share something that doesn't keep on growing exponentially. We might really struggle to give away something if we're worried that giving it away will leave us short of time, money or other resources. However, maybe there's another way of looking at this. Jesus sent his disciples out clear in his expectation that people will give those disciples exactly what they needed. He told them that ultimately everything they needed would come from our heavenly father. So how does this relate to us today? Well, we are all the people that Jesus has called to be his disciples today. It's one of the reasons we're here in this place this morning. And it's down to us to continue this huge task. What we give doesn't need to be anything huge. Jesus tells us that even a cup of cold water is good. We're not meant, we're not called to meet every single need and want of every single person that we meet. But we are called to show them that they are welcome. We do this because God has promised to sustain us and give us all that we need to mirror his generosity to us in the world. The more we give, the more we are demonstrating our trust in God to provide. And it's through this trust in God leading to generosity that the Christian community is distinct. Imagine being part of a community that is like Herman, so generous that you struggle to find anyone new to share it with. In Matthew 10, verse 41, Jesus speaks about our being rewarded for how we welcome a prophet or a righteous person. The writer believes that both of these titles speak to the way in which many people viewed Jesus. Remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Verse 42 makes it clear that it's by serving every single being, including small children, that we will receive our reward. How often do we find ourselves waiting for Christ to come again, to come and clear up the mess that we find ourselves living in, when really we are called to do our best to establish God's kingdom here on the earth? At the very least, to be living counterculturally, to show the small green shoots bursting forth. We are called to follow the example of Christ, even by simply offering a cup of cold water. In the United States, where there's a mass shooting, four persons roughly every 16 hours, many so-called Christians post the words thoughts and prayers on their social media pages. What if the Good Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 had passed by the injured traveller and simply said thoughts and prayers? What difference would that have made? What if Jesus had done the same with the many people that he healed, Doesn't Jesus call us to action? Paul in his teaching to the Romans emphasizes the gift of grace, the gift of the grace of God, a gift which offers forgiveness and life eternal, something which we cannot gain through our own efforts. However, given the disobedience of human nature, this gift was being misunderstood. It was being abused by the Romans. It was being used as an excuse for people to live in whatever way they liked. In Romans 6, Paul highlights that grace brings us into a relationship, a special relationship with the giver of life. We are servants to the giver, and this demands a particular way of living, a way of living that is only possible because of that grace. In case this should be misunderstood, as God being a self-serving slave owner, Paul emphasises two points. Firstly, Paul reminds his readers that because of their limitations and their immaturity, he is having to speak to them in human terms, using really basic images that they could easily understand. Secondly, he reminds them that self-rule is an illusion. We are always in the service of someone or something. We can choose righteousness or sin. We can choose God or Satan. We can choose life or death. Paul doesn't water down the wickedness of being a slave to sin. And he contrasts this with the joy of life in being a servant of God. Earlier in this letter, Paul emphasises the love and the sacrifice of God to enable grace to be offered. Grace offers us peace and the hope of sharing the glory of God. The focus is relationship. The strong imagery of slavery is used to emphasise that we are not fundamentally independent beings. One of the great principles of many of the mainstream faiths is hospitality and welcome. It's often put on the list. It's one of the first things that a congregation puts at the top of their list when they're describing themselves, isn't it? If we're writing a profile, we're a hospitable, welcoming church. For many, it comes before describing what they actually believe. Many faith communities describe themselves as friendly and welcoming, yet there's a lot of research that suggests that we tend to be welcoming to those who know us and that welcome revolves around our own little cliques. In Jesus' day, the ethic of welcome was simply part of the culture of thousands of years. But because of that, it had evolved into a much greater ethic than a simple handshake or an invitation to come to coffee following a service. Because it was so deeply ingrained, it was far less about simply welcoming a person as a lone individual The hospitality of welcome had grown into accepting and welcoming and honouring everything that individuals stood for, along with those who were connected to them, their family, their friends, their community. It was a network you welcomed, all the faces behind the face of the one standing before you. So when Jesus says the words, whoever welcomes you, welcomes me, it's the general taken for granted idea that if someone welcomes a disciple, then that person welcomes all who are connected to that disciple. In this case, Jesus. It's a way of seeing the world where everyone is connected, aware of our neighbor and our neighbor's networks. We're very keen on networks in our society today. It's how social media works. Yet we remain a very individualistic society. What is interesting here is Jesus is being quite specific about the company he keeps and thus the people that are welcomed whenever you welcome a disciple. Part of the idea of welcome is to honour those who are associated with you. You respect them, give them space, honour their character and goals. Consequently, in welcoming these little ones, be they children or the least in society, you're placing yourself beside them respecting and honoring them so in some way this is quite a political thing if you want to welcome jesus you welcome also the least the lost the forgotten all those he kept company with and jesus as we know didn't keep great company we know that to be true given the reaction from the authority figures and the scandal he built up around himself at the time. He's using the deep cultural sense of what welcome means to shift everyone closer to each other and to include those who are normally excluded. Therefore, if we welcome Jesus, we welcome the least. Now, we've got to try really hard to reflect that in our own faith communities. How that works for each one of us sat here who believe we're a welcoming church. When we speak of welcoming Jesus into our lives, is there room for those who we are prejudiced towards? Those who we are awkward with? Those who we might fear? This isn't a simple faith statement about some personal belief. It's a kingdom statement that affirms we are living our lives in a particular way in the world that goes beyond the comfortable circles that we easily welcome, and which finds us in the places the world fears to go, where our own culture puts up barriers, and where we will find ourselves receiving the response Jesus received from those that controlled the culture. So I warned you, this is a short passage from Matthew's Gospel, just a couple of verses. But out of it comes a whole ethic, a whole invitation of the kingdom, our call, our intent, our faith, and our response to our faith. Those who welcome me welcome the least. And those who welcome the least have already welcomed me. Amen.